This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Only a couple games underway this evening in the NHL. Been an action-packed couple of days. This Wednesday, tonight, it kind of cools off a little bit, but a good one. 8 o'clock Eastern, you can watch it on Sportsnet. It is the New York Rangers coming off the game of the year against the Calgary Flames two nights ago. They face off against the Vancouver Canucks at MSG. It is the Stars and Wild, and uh, there's someone out there who really goes wild with anger when I say things like, maybe we should call this the Norm Green Bowl. Oof. That one's at 8.30. Uh, Rangers and Vancouver Canucks, 8 o'clock Eastern. Watch this one on Sportsnet. Uh, here to talk about all things Ranger. Coming off that great game against the Calgary Flames. Man that had a little bit of everything for everybody is Molly Walker from the New York Post. Molly, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks so much for bringing me on. Uh, uh, the pleasure the pleasure is mine and uh, listen it's a delight watching the Rangers these days and before we get into you know the the role that they're on and all the individual players etc uh, I'll just be blunt that was a hell of a game uh, two nights ago the yeah. Calgary Flames and the New York Rangers like I, I looked at it I'm watching this thing and I'm like at every couple of minutes it kept getting better and better and better mm-hmm. and I know it's you know you can't do that 82 times a year i understand that that playoff type intensity but there was skill there was goals there was hits there were fights there was um great saves there was drama there was controversy <laughs> there was a uh, controversy over a kicked in there was uh, uh an overtime like it like for ev- for every kind of hockey fan Molly, i looked at that game and said there's something in there for everybody, no matter what type of game you like. What was it about that game for you? Because I'm assuming there's a few things you can pull out of this one and say, yeah, I really like this about that game. Yeah, I mean, oh my God, I haven't been doing this job for very long, so this next sentence doesn't really have as much weight, but top five game that I've covered in my entire career, which is really saying something for a regular season game. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it was just a a regular season game and and not as close, you know, to the end of the regular season just says a lot about, you know, how much fun it was, regardless of the fact that it didn't really have that much playoff uh, implications. But yeah, like you said, just had a little bit of everything. But for me, the fact that both teams were coming off of a long break and it was still as intense as it was, I feel like that's not really the norm. Usually it's a bit, sluggish and a little bit of sloppy play but even if it took both teams a little bit to get going it was very intense lots of hits very physical I mean Jacob Truba has gone viral a couple times this season but uh, (laughs) that hit on uh, Kadri was was really something so it was very entertaining Um, gotta gotta love those games for sure they were great. You know, I, I want to get to Jacob Truba here with you because the Dubé hit was great too. Um, but, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. interesting that you mentioned, you know, coming off, coming off the break, you know, um, Marty St. Louis would always say that the NHL is an 85% league. You can't play 100% every single night. Like physically, given the demands mm-hmm. of this game, you just can't do it. It's an 85% league. But the one thing that I, I came away from that game wondering about is, is this not maybe an advertisement or a, a walking, talking, skating indication that the schedule is too long and maybe if you allowed players to rest more that you'd get more high-quality games and we'd be doing things like talking about hockey games two days after they occurred because the players <laughs> are rested and refreshed and aren't grinding their way through a four-game week or a three-game week. Like, I came away from that going... 
man, if the NHL schedule is only 60 games, man, these games would be <laughs> really intense. I know it's not going to happen, but that was kind of one of the takeaways for me. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's actually a really interesting take. I haven't really thought of it that way, but I do agree with that point to some extent. Um, if you would want to increase the quality of the games, that's, that's definitely a way to do it. But I also think that the 82-game schedule is kind of you know what gives the NHL its charm a little bit, what makes hockey and the NHL such a different, difficult league to play in. So I think that you know changing changing it now would kind of you know take away from you know. I think it has its own special charm to it, honestly. I think that, you know, the difficulty that everybody talks about playing in the NHL is, is something that I feel like players are pretty proud of. And, I mean, I look I look as, as someone who's been a general assignment sports reporter, and I don't know if I could personally handle a baseball game schedule, <laughs> you know, that many games <laughs> like this or something like that. Yeah. Um, but then I also look at something like football where it's a game a week and it puts that much more, you know, specifics and, and attention onto every single little game. So I, I, it's yeah. kind of like a happy medium between the two, I think. I don't disagree. Um, I, 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 I really do, to your point, appreciate the element of endurance that comes along mm-hmm. with uh, with an 82-game NHL schedule. And I think you're right. I think players, I know the league does, puts a, takes a lot of pride in that too. Like, and and what it does too is it really like over 82 games you can really establish who's first place, who's second place, who's third place, right. etc. Because you're really removing a lot of uh, variance here. Anyway, let me um let me ask you about Jacob Truba because I sure. think he does one of the most difficult things in the game. Like we focus on Connor McDavid and we say, wow, nobody moves faster with the puck than Connor McDavid. We look at Elias Sorokin with the Islanders and wow, this guy piles up shutouts like nobody else. Everybody, like a lot of elite players have their own elite skill that we all marvel at. Right. To me, I don't know that we appreciate one thing that Jacob Truba does and he does consistently and I think it's one of the hardest things in the league to do and that is punishing clean body checks the game moves <laughs> so fast and so sudden and the guys are in different positions and jacob truba has this ability as much as players grouse about it it's true to hit players violently yet cleanly like i know Athens <laughs> you barked about the the chicago hit and everything and i know there was some you know dube goes after um uh, goes after truba after the uh, the, the cadre hit but Right. It's been a long time. Like I've watched a lot of. It's been a long time since I've seen someone hit as consistently, violently, and cleanly as Jacob Truba. You know, Friedman always makes the point. That's one of the reasons why this guy is the captain. Just a general thought on on Jacob Truba's game right now because he kind of has. He's become that player that you need to know when he's on the ice at all times. Right, and I think the interesting part of it is that he didn't really start playing this way until the last couple seasons or so here in New York. It took him a little bit to settle settle into his game, but in the last two seasons, mm-hmm. he's, I mean, I know he's had a difficult start to this season in particular, but the last two seasons in general is when he started to play to the game that the Rangers always wanted him to. And it's those game changes. It's not even just about how they're, you know, clean and you know coming up they they are game changing momentum swinging type hits 
And I've asked a bunch of the guys on the team Mm. about what it's like to be on the bench when you see that. And it's just, it's the jolt. It's a shockwave. It's, you know, and it is impressive to everybody on the ice, how he's, as someone as big as he is, is able to line guys up and just completely upend them. And, you know, textbook, shoulder to chest, you know, those types of hits that, you know, they'll take the wind out of you. But again, that's, I know that, look, he's also a big guy. So sometimes when, you know, he does make those hits, it looks like it's higher than it is just because said player is looking down or hunched over, you know, with the puck. But that's mm-hmm. also the thing. It's um, most of the time player has the puck, which is, you know, you should have your head up. You know, it's another charm to the league. I feel, you know, it's just something that, <laughs> you know, these players need to, you know, know. And I feel like he's one of those guys that, you know, you need to know when he's on the ice because he'll remind you that you have to be skating with your head up. But Definitely a captain's yeah. kind of trait. You know, and the one thing that Jared Gallant has always been consistent with, one of his biggest pet peeves, one of the things he always hates is seeing his team get pushed around. And with players mm-hmm. like Trouba in the lineup, that uh, that doesn't happen. Let me ask you about three young players. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, Alexi Lafreniere scores the overtime goal against Calgary. Kind of a gift. Zadorov skates by it, and it's right there presenting itself to Lafreniere. Uh, him, Capocacco, and Philip Hedl. I think of the three of them, most of us have a a better handle on who Philip Hedl is than the other right. two. But from being around this team and covering this team and, you know, watching games, practices, everything, when 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 you hear those three names mentioned, is Hedl the one that you look at and you say, Okay, I think I know what this guy's gonna turn into, but Kako and Lafreniere are still a question mark, or are we starting to get more of a soap and warm water feeling for Kako or Lafreniere? Just your thoughts on who's closest to becoming the player they're about to become, if you know what I mean. That's a good question. I think that when it comes to Philip Hedl, I still don't think that the Rangers know what they have in any of the three of them, with Philip Hedl in particular, because they haven't really given him that chance in the top six. And yet he still has done so much with so little being relegated to the third line, barely any minutes on the power play. And he's still having a breakout season. So I think the Ranger, the only way for the Rangers to really find out what they have in Filipino is putting him next to a guy like Artemi Panarin, which I think he's only had like five or six games next to him this season. So that's something that I personally still want to see and that I think the Rangers need to see to find out before, you know, they have to go into this off season where they're going to have to pay him. But it's a tricky situation because in technicality on the books, they already have their number two C in Vincent Trocek. So it's a really, it's a, yeah. they're in a sticky situation when it comes to Filipino because, you know, if they give him that chance with Artemi Panarin and he absolutely lights it up, uh, you know, they're not going to be able to pay him, pay another 2C. Um, so I think that they still have stuff to find out in Filipino, and they definitely should um, before the end of this season. As far as the other two, I think with Capo Caco, he has definitely trended upwards this season. He's become an absolute mm. possession mach- machine, which is the same kind of guy that we everybody saw, you know, in World Juniors early on in his career. Like he's really started doing, yep. you know, the the way he circles the zone and the way that he can, you know, battle below the hash marks is is so incredibly impressive. But I think the biggest thing that's missing for him is finishing, is actually getting the points. 
Um, that kind of is something that hasn't come as naturally and as consistently for him. Um, but he still is a guy that you can plug into the top six, onto the top line with Panarin or, and Zibanejad or, or Kreider and Zibanejad and make a, a possession monster line just by putting him there. I think with Lafreniere, of the three, he's a little bit behind just in terms of uh, but it's it's difficult to say because he's also faced different sorts of expectations than the other two. You know, being a top overall pick and, and coming to New York, um, yep. it's not easy circumstances to thrive under and how the media and fans are just so wrapped up in, in where he's playing and who he's playing with. And Gallant mentions it all the time. Most top picks, most first-round picks, get those extra minutes on the power play, and that's something that Lafreniere and, and, the, and the other two haven't gotten at all. So it's it's difficult, but that's just because the way the Rangers are built right now. You know, who are you taking off that top unit when you've got guys like Zibanejad, Panarin, and Kreider, veterans and established guys in this league that Gallant clearly trusts a lot more than the young guys. But that's also Gerard Gallant. He's a guy that likes to ride his horses. But I think there's still a lot to find out about those three. Um, but I think that they are all in, uh, facing the right direction at the very least. It's it's got to be tough if you're Alexi Lafreniere, just for him personally. You know, you look above you, and there's you know on the left side Chris Kreider and Artemi Panarin. It's like, oh boy, okay, good luck, <laughs> good luck taking over the spot um, for one of these two. Let me, you know, I I, um, I I mentioned Jacob Truba a couple of seconds ago. Seconds ago, I want to mention um, his defense partner as well because you talk about you know players that need to be extended in the off season, and I know there's mm-hmm. you know there's not an abundance of salary cap space here for Chris Drury, but. Keandre Miller is going to get paid this summer, right? Like you want to talk about yeah. seasons where he's, some players have distinguished themselves. Like Keandre Miller is one of the guys here. Absolutely. And he's probably been more of a key guy to the Rangers lineup as a whole than any of the young core that the Rangers have right now, just in terms of the fact that he's all he's ever known is 20 minutes a night since he's been a rookie. And he just logs really important minutes for them in, you know, all situations, even though he's also one of those guys that gets little time on the second power play, but he's a big PK guy. He's you know on mm-hmm. in major situations and he's drawing major matchups and I think that you know for a guy of his age and how long he's been in the league you know when you have a player that's you know only known that big of a role you know those kinds of guys just don't grow on trees so I feel like the Rangers are definitely going to be prioritizing Keandre Miller um, and trying to make it work as best as they can so that they could also you know pay the rest of the guys that they have to. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, it's kind of a nice problem to have. Eh? We have too many good players that need contract extensions. Oh, I, yeah. I think there's anyone crying for Chris Drury here. Uh, this has been this has been delightful. Uh, Molly, thanks so much for sharing your expertise today. Much appreciated. Enjoy the game tonight. It is the Rangers and the Vancouver Canucks. You can watch this one tonight here in Canada uh, on Sportsnet. Molly, thanks so much for doing this. Have a good rest of your afternoon. Thanks for having me. You too pleasure is mine. Uh, Molly Walker from the New York Post covering the Rangers. They are just rolling in their last 20. 13-4 and 3 uh, is the record. Philip Heedle's been hot and Jacob Truba. Heads up. And the other end of the ring tonight, Luke Shen. Heads up. Like, I don't know that the Rangers want to go back into that again and have another game like the game they just had against the, the Calgary Flames. 
I think they might be saving that one for the 18th when these two teams face off against each other uh, one more time, that game on Hockey Night in Canada. Um, but that one was spectacular on Monday. We'll see what happens tonight. Uh, there are some players on Vancouver that can uh, that can light it, and uh, and we'll see what happens. So it is uh, two games tonight. It is the Vancouver Canucks facing off against the Rangers. That one's early at 8 Eastern, and the Minnesota Wild face off against the Dallas Stars. That one at 8.30. That should be a good game, too. Uh, I love, like I've said before, Dallas is a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. I think we're all curious to see... You know, what Jim Nill does at trade deadline, I still wonder if they might be one of the stealthy contenders for Patrick Kane. I don't know this to be a fact. I'm just wondering about that. And as far as the Minnesota Wild goes, listen, Elliot was writing about James Van Riemsdyk today at 32 Thoughts blog. We do know they need some scoring and want some scoring. I've looked at Minnesota and I've made this point here on the program before. The Minnesota Wild, as constructed, that blend of skill, like elite level skill and toughness, like that's what John Tortorella is talking about when he talks about the identity of the Philadelphia Flyers. I can't help but thinking, Flyers look at Minnesota and say, that's who we want to be, you know, without the salary cap jail and everything. Uh, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN coming up next. Merrick Show, Hour 2 is on the horizon. Keep it here. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program. Crossing our fingers and hoping we have enough time here to play the uh, do the random player of the day coming up in a little bit. But want to play this interview with UC Soros of the Nashville Predators. Now, this just came out today on the 32 Thoughts podcast. This is me and Elliot with Soros last mm, Friday uh, on the beach in Fort Lauderdale. Um, now, the whole thing is available at the Sportsnet YouTube channel or is available on the 32 Thoughts pod at your favorite podcatcher. You choose it uh, where you choose to consume it. So here is UC Soros of the Nashville Predators. For my money, one of the most influential goaltenders in the world right now, period. Here he is on the Merrick Show. You know, one of the things that we've been talking about when we talk about you on our podcast is I don't think the NHL world appreciates how influential you are in hockey. There are a lot of players, whether it's Connor McDavid and Alex Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby, talk about how much they influence kids and all that. But for goaltenders that aren't giants, for goalies when they're first starting out who aren't big and always hear you have to be six foot four to play net. Now they can point at you and say, you know what? That guy's an all-star goaltender and he's not six foot three or six foot four. Do you get a sense of how important and influential you are in the game? Because I really think it's big. Yeah, every now and then you hear hear some messages and stuff like that. And I think it's cool if I get to inspire some of the kids and that you can make it in different ways too. So every now and then I see it. Did anyone ever try to talk you out of this? <laughs> say, this isn't for you. Uh, not like that. Obviously, I was never a big guy even as a young kid, and uh, you would hear some talks every now and then always, but it never really bothered me, and uh, I just wanted to play. And uh, obviously, especially my draft year, it was, a, it was a big, big topic and stuff. But, yeah, I never really thought about it too much. How many times in your pre-draft interviews did you get asked about your height? 
not everyone, but most of them, they would like sometimes like walk in the room and they said like, take off your shoes, like they measured me and like, <laughs> stuff like that. So, but yeah, I, I mean, I get it. There was also a team. I, I'm not gonna say the team, but they called me and uh, they wanted me to get X-rays of my bones to see if I can still grow. Uh. And their results was there's no growing coming, and they didn't draft me. But that was <laughs> probably the most extreme. Now, when did you know that Nashville liked you? Did you know they were going to take you? No, not really. So I was kind of surprised, had no idea. And I remember my draft year after the lockout, so all the rounds were kept the same day. Mm-hmm. And I was in Finland, I was watching the stream, and it was like 5 a.m. or something like that when mm-hmm. finally the name popped up. But, yeah, I had no no clue that they would pick me. Uh, so, yeah, only thing, obviously, watching Pecorino a lot, mm-hmm. warm up, so that was... Kind of one of the only things I knew about the city at that moment, but afterwards, really lucky and happy that they picked me. What did you learn from Pecorine? I can only imagine, you know, riding shotgun with Pecorine for the time that you did. You yeah. pick up a few things. What did you learn from him? Yeah, it was obviously huge. Like, since day one, he helped me on and off the ice so much. And, like, come into the first training camp, and he's like, every practice, he's like diving in front of the parks and, uh, just leading by example so well and then off the ice and locker room like treating everybody always the same doesn't matter who you are and I mean those things are pretty cool to see and uh, it's easy to learn from those two things so it's yeah those are probably the biggest two are you a competitive practice guy yeah I, I like to always practice as hard as I can and obviously when you had like I like Pex it was yep. example and our goalie coach Ben Vanderklok he's, he's awesome and always demands a lot and we always try to make the most out of the day. What was it like for you growing up? Did you have any of that? How often were you on the ice? What was life like for you as a young goalie? No, it was still kind of like that old school that you play like different sports in the summers and then hockey in the winter and like soccer in the summer and then stuff like that. And yeah, it was a couple of hockey camps in the summer, but other than that, nothing, nothing too crazy. We always had like uh, goalie ice sessions like during the season in my hometown so that was huge so we always had like a goalie coach even when I started as a goalie really young so but yeah not, nothing like it is now who's your favorite goalie growing up I, re- I really like Fleury because he was like acrobatic he had the yellow pads yep. I kind of copied that and then uh, Rask and Pex came yep. in the league just a little bit later than him so those three were like I watched a lot of YouTube videos of those three did you ever say to Fleury that I idolized you as a kid just to see what his reaction just would be. It's just to make him feel really <laughs> old. I never got a chance to meet him yet. I had to ask one of his sticks mm. last year, and uh, I got my first win against him, so that was pretty special too. But yeah, I only heard good things about him. Now, so you've got one of his sticks? Yeah. I who got... else do you have? Like, who other sticks do you have? Mostly pecs I got right away, but yeah, I don't have like too many. I've been a little bit lazy asking. I should be asking. <laughs> You've got a lot of time. Yeah. You've got a lot of time. Yeah, but those two and then a few like uh, player sticks. But I was going to say, any players? Only goalie sticks yeah. or other players? Which players you got? I got Yossi's mm-hmm. stick. And then I got Salomakis and Tolvanen's my Finnish yeah. teammates. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's about it. You've got time to build yeah, to know, build like, this Tomarov, up. I who's in Toronto, yeah. he would like, oh, yeah. he probably have millions because every world champions, if he would ask one from each guy and he would go home and like, 30 sticks and even even like when we're on the ice like summer skating he's asking guys sticks like he has to have like a full apartment of like sticks so. <laughs> you know the other thing i want to ask you was last year like i do a radio hit in nashville every week 
yeah. and they were furious last year. They thought you got shafted in the Vesna voting. Do you? Does this bother you at all? I don't think. I obviously, Chesterkin. I think he's a clear winner, and yeah. Markstrom had a good year too, and a couple other guys like Anderson, Sorokin. So I was actually a little bit surprised. I was part of the top three, and it was and it was a great honor, mm-hmm. and it was it was a good year for me too. But I think I was kind of where I I belong. So I no uh, bad blood from me. <laughs> that national media, they look out for you. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. They look out for you. You had an outstanding season. You know, uh, Brian Burke always makes the point that it shouldn't be the general managers that vote on the Vesna because it's the general managers that least understand goaltending. <laughs> that that's the one position where they always mess up. Who should vote for the Vesna? Uh, yeah, I think maybe we could do like a goalies too, like a Something similar how the NBA has the all-star voting, like maybe like 50% is like could be GMs and then like 50% would be goalies or stuff like that. Would you want to vote on something like that? Would you want to do that? Yeah, I think goalies would be happy to to vote on that. And I think it would be cool to see the results too. And I think it would be pretty point on. How important, like on your list of things to achieve in the NHL, where do you put scoring a goal? (laughs) Mm, good question. Yeah, that that would be cool. And obviously, it was awesome to see when Pex scored yeah. a goal. And then this year, there's been a couple guys. Shesterkin. Yeah, <laughs> Shesterkin. And like, I think Swayman was really close yep. earlier. And so, yeah, I think it would be cool. And uh, well, yeah, one good thing about the, if there's something positive about the injury happening, I stayed in Nashville pretty long for the season. And only thing we could do on the ice was my puck handling skills and shooting the so puck. practice them mm-hmm. goals? Yes, a little bit, and I got a little bit better at uh, playing the puck now too, and shooting. So maybe, maybe one day so that would be cool. <laughs> would John Hines have a heart attack if you st- if you started <laughs> if you lined up to shoot? We actually played in Ottawa this year, and I think we were leading three nothing or two nothing at yes. the end of two, and then they rimmed the puck, but then it was a, and I, I thought about it for a second, but it was offside, and they blew it down and. And Ekholm was actually yelling at me to leave the puck, leave the puck too. So, <laughs> but yeah, that was kind of the only. Be quiet, Ekholm. I can <laughs> score here. Yeah. <laughs> I love him. That's uh, UC Saros, that minder for the Nashville Predators. You can hear the entire interview uh, on Thirty Two Thoughts the podcast. That one came out this morning, or uh, you can watch it. You can watch Elliot and I beachside with uh, UC Saros. Um, at our sports that YouTube channel. Uh, I think we're going to punt on the uh, the random player of the day, push it to tomorrow. I really try not to do this. Uh, we'll bring Maddie Marchese aboard. Maddie, I really try not to do this because I love doing the random player of the day, but uh, time is not our friend today. So um, I just want to close by talking about UC Saros a little bit. Like I, I said what I said off the beginning of the interview legitimately. Like I think that... There are a lot of players that inspire younger um, younger players, youth hockey, uh, minor hockey in Canada, etc. And I think that UC Saros is one of those players, and I don't think we spend enough time giving that attention. It's not just that he's a smaller netminder. He's 5'11", 180 pounds or so. But he's a smaller netminder who's amongst the best netminders in the entire NHL. Like And again, UC Saros, despite the fact that the Nashville Predators are not having a spectacular season... Man, that game last night against Vegas was a tough one. They got behind the eight ball early and just couldn't dig themselves out. They lose five to one to the to the uh, to the Golden Knights. Um, but Saros is having another really good season. Two years ago, UC Saros, with all due respect to all the players on the Predators, single handedly 
got the Nashville Predators into the playoffs. You'll remember that a couple of years ago, we thought that's it. Nashville's going nowhere. It's time to rebuild, tear it all down, blow it all up. And Saros just got super hot and took the team to the playoffs. And it was one of those seasons where even if you weren't going to make a case for UC Saros and the Vesna trophy, you might've been able to make a case for UC Saros and the Hart trophy because he meant that much to that team that made it to the playoffs. Uh, and I think for younger kids that are starting out in net, and we all know the bigger kids tend to do better because they cover more space, and it's always true all the way up. You know, they'll choose and default to a bigger goaltender because when you're a big goaltender, you make accidental saves. Pucks just go off you because you're big. Saros has to make every save legit. There's no accidental saves for UC Saros. And I think when you're a kid starting out, I think you look at UC Saros and you go, oh, yeah, I don't have to be a giant to play this position. I think he's very quietly one of the most influential players in the entire NHL, agree or disagree. No, I, I would agree with that. And I, he's kind of a throwback, right? Because there was a time where guys like Curtis Joseph or uh, Dominic Hasek, who were smaller guys that made an impact in the game, and they also played differently than everybody else did. They weren't, you know, as big as Patrick Waugh or as big as, you know, insert goalie here, um, Ed Belfour. And so Soros has that. Yeah. I think the, the most interesting thing about the the dynamic in Nashville is is that they go from a goalie who is a giant in Pecorine who is what six four six five to yeah. UC Soros who's under yeah. six feet he's about five ten and so you know it it shows that sometimes just being in the right system like you know you talked about Stephen Weiss with with Wish about going to Florida and if he went yep. somewhere else if things had changed I I wonder if yeah. UC Soros goes to a different organization if there's a different conversation about him, the goaltender. Now, maybe we're not talking about Listen, him in the, the same way. Well, there are a lot of organizations that just wouldn't have drafted a goalie that was his size, though, too. Like, I'll give it to Nashville. Like, Nashville is confident enough in their development, um, whether it's, you know, at the American Hockey League level with, with Milwaukee or in through the NHL as well. Um, they're confident enough that doesn't matter what the goalie size is, we can help turn him into an NHL goaltender. Saros has been, you know, I always made this point 15 years ago. If you stood two players up against the wall, just wearing their suits. Okay. One is 5'11", one is six foot four. And I said to you, okay, this is 15, 20 years ago, which one's a defenseman and which one's a goaltender. You would have said, oh yeah, the goaltender is 5'11", and uh, the defenseman is six foot four. Flash forward now, it's completely reversed. Now the goalie is a six foot four one and the defenseman is five foot 11. It's fascinating what's happened to the game. Uh, thanks to everyone who participated today. Thank you to Greg Wyshynski from ESPN, Molly Walker from the New York Post, and Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts. Scotiabank, Wednesday Night Hockey, the Canucks and the Rangers tonight. Enjoy. Merrick's show back tomorrow.